0: Everybody, I'm Katie, and I'm Rhiannon, and welcome to haunting cases. and listeners hope that y'all are having a good day if you're here you know what time of the week it is or at least what what week it is it's my week it's my episode this is my (laughs) island (laughs) Brianna how are you doing today are you excited I hope you're excited (laughs) I'm a little slack happy I'm not gonna lie
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sleepy from a, a long week oh, and staying up too late tonight to record, but because we are recording this on the weekend of Mother's Day, we did not want to push it off, <laughs> seeing as we both have plans, so yes, I yeah. will be, I wish I had coffee, I'd be better with coffee, I don't have coffee, but besides that, I'm
0: good. <laughs> I'd be better with coffee too, my mom's like, are we hitting the farmer's market tomorrow morning? I'm like... Yeah, I I guess we could. (laughs) But in reality, I actually do need to go because I need to get some local honey so my poor sinuses will leave me alone.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, the allergies have been raging lately. They've been awful
0: this season. Like, absolutely just dreadful. I feel sick constantly. But I also know poor Salem is getting the... The blunt end of the stick on that one, too, unfortunately. <laughs> she has been so needy lately. And while I love cuddles from my little girl, she's starting to get on my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Like, today, while I was actually finishing the notes for this episode, she uh, felt the need to constantly try to get up in front of me like while I'm on my laptop. And she usually never does that. She's usually really good about computers and stuff and not like getting in your face when you're like using them. But for some reason, today was the day that she woke up and she chose violence. So <laughs> she, she was up in my face constantly. And then when I'd like set her down, I'm like, I love you, but you can't be up here right now. She decided, oh, this means war. <laughs> and started going after the damn wire for my charger, like the thin part of it no. that actually like, plugs into the computer. And I'm like, this is like the third one that I bought because she she will shred it in like seconds. So I like shoved it into the seat next to me. I'm watching her and she keeps getting really close. I'm like, you get away from me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Stay and eventually
0: back it just became so distracting that i'm like i'm leaving i'm going to starbucks think about your actions i like closed the door and drove down to starbucks to actually do the
1: research and just get things done that explains a lot because earlier when we were messaging you commented that you were researching at starbucks and i was like huh I wonder why she's at Starbucks. I was like, well, maybe there's no particular reason. Maybe she just felt like coffee and was like, why not research at Starbucks? I was like, I can get down (laughs) with that. But now it all makes sense. It all makes sense now. I got
0: kicked out of my house by my cat.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we all know that the cat rules the house. So, I mean, if somebody's going to kick somebody out, it's definitely going to be the cat kicking you out. It's definitely going to be Salem
0: kicking my ass to the curb. (laughs) But... Anyway, I hope that you are ready for this episode. We do have some trigger warnings today, so I'm going to go ahead and get you guys flushed into those, and I will see you on the other side. Oh, goody. (laughs) While we understand that some individuals listen for the entertainment aspect of true crime, it's important to remember that these are real people with families and friends who may still be suffering from their loss. These stories are not meant to open old wounds or cause further emotional damage to those involved. We remind you to please be respectful, do not dox or contact those involved with cases.
1: While paranormal occurrences and urban legends may be sources of tourism, please be considerate if you visit one of these locations. Do not engage in trespassing and be sure to ask for permission if you plan on recording. Be aware of your surroundings and travel safely. The cases discussed in this podcast may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. episode we will be discussing cases involving sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. If you or someone you know has been a victim of sexual assault please reach out to the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-4673. Now back to the show.
0: Welcome back in listeners, we hope that you enjoyed those trigger warnings, but I've got a very special case today, it's kind of a mixture between a murder and a I Survived episode.
1: Hmm. I don't know how I feel about that.
0: (laughs) You're going to get upset, I'm going to just forebode you right there.
1: Oh, Um, (laughs) great.
0: But... Yeah, it's also one of Rhiannon's favorite episodes. Can you is take it, a guess? Is Can it really? you take a guess what we where we're
1: going today? Oh, oh no! Are we going to a national park?
0: We are going to a national park. <laughs> uh, Katie's
1: trying to ruin
0: national parks for me. No. Okay, so our story today starts with the Appalachian Trail or the Appalachian oh, Trail, depending great. on where you're, you're not even at that far in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, I just do want to go ahead and let you guys know, like, I pronounce it Appalachian, Appalachian, but I know that a lot of people pronounce the Appalachian Trail. Let us know in the comments down below which one's right, because I don't know. It's kind of like Worcestershire sauce for me. I'm like... <laughs> I've heard both used, but I know it's kind of like, well, I guess it would be like Worcestershire. It would be more like Illinois, uh, Illinois instead of like Illinois, which don't come for me. I know it's Illinois. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that one definitely has an obvious right answer. <laughs> yes. This one, I'm kind of like, okay, which one is it? But just
0: for today's episode, it's going to be the Appalachian Trail. Um, So... The Appalachian Trail is an iconic hiking trail in the eastern United States that is said to be the longest in the world. The trail extends 2,200 miles long, or 3,500 kilometers long, and it extends between Springer Mountain in Georgia and Ma- Mount Katahdin in Maine. It passes through 14 states total, Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. Wow. That's I a lot. Know. It's very long. <laughs> like literally if you look on the map of the United States, like starting in Georgia, like towards the like top of it, if you just draw almost like a straight line, like a slightly curved line up to Maine, that's basically the Appalachian Trail. Huh, okay. So the idea of the Appalachian Trail came about in 1921, and it was completed in 1937. It's maintained by 31 trail clubs, multiple partnerships, and managed by the National Park Service in the United States, the United States Forestry Services, and the nonprofit Appalachian Trail conservatory between two and three million people are said to hike part of the trail at least once each year and between 800 to 900 people have done the full hike from start to end so roughly a yeah, thousand uh, impressive each year. right there yeah until 1980 there were relatively few through hikers that after the publication of Bill Bryson's book, A Walk in the Woods, which was published in 1998, the number of hikers has dramatically risen. However, there have been many people who have succumbed to foul play at the hands of deranged killers. Since 1974, there have been nine murders near or on the Appalachian Trail, and two attempted murders, some involving serial killers.
1: I mean, I guess if you think about the stats of how many people you said hike it per year, and that's how many we've had total since it's, like, been constructed, that's actually not that bad if you think statistically. It's a bad number if you think statistically. Yeah, it's it's still still scary. scary. (laughs) Yeah, it's very scary. But, yeah, it it definitely is one of those things, though, where I feel like that's why... Well, I can tell you it definitely is. Why, Mom, if you're listening, this is why you freak out about me going hiking by myself. (laughs) Shit like this. And I always tell you, (laughs) like, statistically, it's not that likely.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. I could not. But then again, I I definitely think about me and you going hiking. I'm like, we're not the most coordinated people on a hike. (laughs) We'd be the ones that would get lost in the woods, and rather than just simply finding a tree and hugging it or, like, making camp there for somebody to come find us, we'd keep wandering.
1: (laughs) And you know what, right? (laughs) Yep, you're definitely right.
0: (laughs) So this isn't the first time that we're hearing about cases like this either. In episode 11, we did discuss the murders of Julie Williams and Lolly Winans, who were murdered in the nearby Shenandoah National Park in Virginia.
1: I see a trend here that you're picking outdoor locations near me. (laughs) I'm sorry. It just so (laughs)
0: happens that a lot of things happen over there. (laughs) Oh, great. I just moved to a wonderful part of the U.S. to be doing outdoor recreation well, to be fair, I also have a couple in my in my back pocket that take place in like the Rocky Mountain National Park, and then there's another one that takes place over in I think it's um it's in California. It's the one up north.
1: So the other two states that I spent a lot of my time in. Yeah, you know. (laughs) I feel targeted.
0: I mean, there's another one down here, too, but that has to do a lot with the Lost Dutchman Mine, which I presume that me and you will be digging into eventually. Yes, yes. But those are more missing persons cases than murders. So we start our story today with Laura Susan Ramsey, or Susu, 27, and Robert or Rob Mountford Junior, 27. They were hiking the Appalachian Trail in Virginia. The two were social workers from Maine and they were using this trip to raise money for a school for the mentally challenged children in Maine, run by Mountford's mother. They were reported missing after they didn't show up as scheduled in a nearby town of Parisburg, Virginia. Investigator Tom Lawson stated in an interview later that the trail is very well marked and people who walk it are experienced hikers. So it's actually unusual for people to go missing.
1: Hmm.
0: Lawson and his team went to check the Wapiti shelter because it was the closest campsite to the Parisburg meeting point. What authorities found immediately raised suspicions. Now, There's a lack of context as to what's all in this area or if it's, like, a small, like, little cabin-styled, like, restroom area, like, one of those that we would see, like, out here. Mm, But they did state that the facility is very well-maintained and it had just basically been renovated with getting new floorings and a new paint job. Okay. So, the flooring's brand new, according to Lawson, which was weird because there's a black substance on the floor which looked like someone had like rubbed up against it or like skidded across it possibly. Hmm. Upon further examination of this spot between the boards was a red substance that could be seen through the cracks. Now the flooring in this area was pulled back. And below was a large pool of blood, which, if you don't know, blood can turn black if it sits long enough.
1: Yeah, I know I've heard that, like, really old blood can get really dark. Mm -hmm. So when you say they found a pool of blood, does that mean they found a blood stain? Or was it still, like, kind of, sort of, relatively fresh-ish?
0: I'm presuming it's relatively fresh-ish because it still has that red pigmentation to it. So it's not like going through those stages of decay like you would see if it's been sitting there a while. Okay. But I also presume because the floorboards might be like locked down a little bit more, it might actually be allowing it to maintain that moisture below, whereas the top portion of it that's just kind of like sitting there has oxidized to the point where it's like it's drying and it's starting to turn that blackish color oh okay i see so this obviously began to worry lawson so the police combed the woods around the surrounding shelter and one searcher noticed something peeking through a pile of leaves a sleeping bag inside the sleeping bag was the body of ramsey However, the body of Mount Ford wouldn't be located until the next day when a cadaver dog and search dogs were brought into the woods to comb the area. Mount Ford was, according to reports, buried in a shallow grave next to like a old um, tree trunk. Mount Ford had also been shot in the head with a .22 rimfire revolver and ramsey showed signs of self defense suggesting that she had struggled and fought mightily hard for her life she had injuries on her hands and had been struck over the head with a piece of iron she had a total of 13 puncture wounds inflicted by a long nailed spike oh gosh as well as wounds inflicted by a knife mm. Investigators suspected that Ramsey had also been sexually assaulted, however, due to the condition of the body, as well as the early stages of DNA at this time, this could not be proven. Investigators discovered their murder weapons fairly quickly. A piece of angled iron, which was in the fireplace, being used to poke up or stir up the ashes for the fire, As well as a large spiked nail that was originally being used to hold the shelter together, which had been discarded onto the floor at this point. The only thing that they could not find was the gun. Hmm.
1: That's interesting. I mean, I guess the gun would be the most obvious thing you wouldn't want to leave at the crime scene. At least I would assume so. But that's interesting that they left the, the metal poker rod and the nail and didn't try to, like, take those with them or dispose of it somewhere where they couldn't be found or something.
0: Yeah, that was my thought too, but at the same time it's like I can see where it's like, oh, I'll take the gun because it's a more valuable B. if he decide he or she decides to do this again that's a ease of committing this type of crime.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: But obviously there's shell casings or something still around to be able to identify like what type of gun is being used so that's right okay obviously they're not picking up all their scraps (laughs) yeah (laughs) now Mountford was shot in the back of the head first but it's possible that the round didn't penetrate um when Mountford started to get up he was likely shot again in the cheek and this is the round that was decided to be the killing factor as it went into his brain after this the killer turned his attention to ramsey lawson theorizes that she tried to run as he pursued her grabbing the iron poker and then the spiked nail that was on the ground he starts to stab her and when she goes down in pain he hits her over the head with the iron poker to which at this point, she's at his mercy, likely dazed and confused as to what's going on.
1: I feel so bad for her.
0: These murders triggered, obviously, a wave of horror and outrage, in some cases meeting national headlines. Many people were worried about the killer or even a serial killer now stalking the Appalachian Trail. Police felt they needed to shut down the trail for a few short weeks while they continued to search the area for any clues the only leading items that police found near the murder scene were items that belonged to that of ramsey to which lawson states we (laughs) when we shut down the trail boy we caught you know what caught all holy hell (laughs) 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 because people are mad that they can't go hiking i'm like guys calm down just a little bit okay like somebody got killed here like let people work this out first
1: right yeah i can't say i'm surprised that people are upset because especially if like you're planning on backpacking a good long portion of the trail people probably took off work and have been like working out and prepping for this and got all their supplies together so i can understand why it'd be upsetting but yeah at the same time though it's just like come on people yeah i think this is serious enough you can put off your vacation just for a little (laughs) bit man like postpone
0: it like a couple months you know what take that time and continue to train and like get yourself in even better shape okay exactly and like better prepare and be like hey we're ready to come back now so no reason to be that upsetty spaghetti about shit like you can reschedule (laughs) calm your tits Now, they won't say exactly what all they found at the scene, but apparently some of the evidence was found in tree stumps, like the tree knots as well, any holes that were in trees and under rocks. They actually found two paperback books that belonged to Ramsey, one of which had a bloody fingerprint in the book. This process went on for several weeks and they eventually hit a cold stance where there was solid evidence, but there was no suspects. Along with the pressure mounting to get the case solved and the trail reopened, there were calls being brought in from the federal agencies saying, you need to make a statement saying that there's no serial killer walking the Appalachian Trail.
1: I don't know if they could say that if they don't have any suspects.
0: I'm like, you really don't know. Like, obviously, you don't want to panic, but like,
1: come on guys yeah, you know how this yeah. works it's like well the chance that there are serial killers much lower than just this being a one-off thing but that doesn't mean that they aren't still you know hanging out waiting for their next victim like there's no way to prove that or or say with confidence yeah. that that's not going to happen so that's a lot to ask to be like you have to 100% say that this is a thing but yeah i agree definitely don't want to cause a panic so that wouldn't be good either but yeah it's also a lot to ask of them to to say something like that
0: exactly and these federal agencies were basically telling them like go on the record give it to the media like just get it out of our hair so we can continue doing what we do and if any of you know how it works in law enforcement, like you try to keep things as close to the chest as possible. Giving things to the media isn't always the best idea. And there's like this very like teeter-totter method that you've got to take into consideration before you start releasing information to the media. So investigators focused on one solid piece of forensic evidence, the book that belonged to Ramsey with the bloody fingerprint in it. Now, this is of very little use until they can get it matched to a suspect, to which weeks following the gruesome murders of Mount Ford and Ramsey, they still didn't have one. However, in a bizarre incident, Lawson's attention was drawn to another man who had been reported missing. Police discovered a note left on his truck saying that the man had been kidnapped. Upon running this guy's tag number on his vehicle, The name came back to one Randall Lee Smith. It was strange that Smith went missing so soon after the murders, and Lawson immediately felt suspicious. Interviews were conducted with individuals who knew Smith and grew up with him. They found almost immediately that he was a loner and very, very shy. Lawson also discovered that he'd earned himself a nickname with people that knew him. LR or Lion Randall, as he had a habitual addiction to lying, where he'd tell outrageous tales and expect people to believe him, which nobody did. Huh. True to his form, though, the kidnapping note was just another lie left by Smith. He left town and had driven to South Carolina, to which Lawson tracked him down and had him brought back to his home in parisburg virginia
1: oh my gosh what what a situation i don't know if he thought that was some kind of fun joke or let me see who actually cares about me if they think i've been kidnapped yeah i I don't i don't don't fully get it either (laughs) but like it does start to kind of like piece itself
0: together as you go forward so with this in mind that he's lied about being kidnapped like And now he's been brought Mm -hmm. back home. Lawson now has his suspect. Keeping that all in mind, that's when Lawson made another observation from Smith's back door. You could walk out it and be up on the Appalachian Trail in minutes. And with it only being a short hike to the murder scene.
1: Yeah, that's awfully suspicious.
0: Additionally, some hikers in the area had seen Smith with Ramsey the day of the murders. Another hiker came forward mm. with information about being in the same bookstore as Ramsey when she had purchased the book. So now we know that the book that they theorized was hers is actually hers. So the book that's now stamped with the bloody fingerprint, Lawson compared Smith's prints to the print left in the book, and the print matched. Wow. Smith was arrested and charged with the 1981 Appalachian Trail murders. Now, here comes the part where
1: we all get pissed off. No, no, <laughs> it's not allowed. This is supposed to have a happy, well, it can't even be a happy ending. It's supposed to have a, a,
0: a better ending. <laughs> On the eve of the trial, Hezaki Osborne the Commonwealth attorney for Giles County accepted a plea bargain for Smith's case from his attorneys. Smith would plead guilty to two counts of second degree murder. And according to South Coast today, both Ramsey and Mountford's families agreed to the plea bargain. This resulted in a 30 year sentence for Smith. This plea bargain caused anger throughout the community mainly directed at law enforcement which is fairly common but just to clarify there's not much they can do when it comes to how attorneys bargain for convictions like that's out of law enforcement's hands it's a completely different branch of the justice system (laughs) exactly (laughs) so Osborne told fellow lawyers that he didn't want to risk trial because he had been unable to discover a motive for the killings, thinking that the case was weak. James Hartley, Um, a opponent to Osborne for district attorney's office, recalls driving past the courthouse one day and noticing that it was actively being picketed and a majority of those attending were hikers wow when osborne came up for re-election he was replaced by hartley now unfortunately as we've seen in previous stories after serving only 15 years of a 30-year sentence smith was released on parole in 1996 for good behavior and being a model inmate who never caused
1: problems and I'm assuming he's still probably relatively young at this he's point.
0: Relatively young. Like when the murders occurred, he was like twenty seven, so he's like Okay, yeah. 30s ish, like maybe forties. He returned to his home where he was raised and began to do odd jobs here and there for money. He went back to telling tales about how he had multiple extravagant homes, some being in Daytona Beach, Florida, and others in Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> and Once again, nobody believed him. As the years continued, Smith became more reclusive than before, but there were several times he was spotted talking to hikers up on the Appalachian Trail. Mm,
1: I don't like that.
0: I don't like that either. In 2000, Smith's mother passed away, leaving him a small amount of money. He took pictures from his walls, a few belongings, and decided to walk out into the woods. He took his fishing gear and his dog as well, and his dog's name is Bo. 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 Bo the dog. Bo the dog. In early, I can root for Bo. <laughs> I I root for Bo too. Bo's innocent. He has no idea. What's yeah, going Bo on. cannot be attached to this crime. <laughs> Bo did nothing wrong. <laughs> In early spring of two thousand eight, concerned neighbors reported Smith's suspiciously missing from his residence when six weeks a mail piled up at smith's home
1: yeah i'd be suspicious too yeah
0: authorities put up posters of smith around town and taped one up at trent's a county store at the bottom of the road that leads to the dismal creek in the Appalachian trail area mark skidmore with the sheriff's department, along with a group of five other sheriff's department officers, went to Smith's residence to look around. According to Skidmore, everything appeared to be in place and it looked like he just walked out. They started checking and it appeared his water and other utilities had been shut off long before the notifications for non-payments came in neighbors stated that smith liked to go up to the cliffs right above the house that were near the appalachian trail and just watch the world go by so skidmore starts to think okay he's gone up there and broken a leg had a heart attack something's gone wrong so they decided to put up some posters down on the trail and they're using basically his driver's license picture and saying, like, hey, if you see this guy, let us know. We're looking for him, figuring maybe come fall there might be a hiker or a hunter that would find him. On May 6th of 2008, a perfect spring morning was dawning. Scott Johnston and Sean Farmer grabbed their fishing gear and started up the Appalachian Trail for a few days of camping and fishing in the lush, tranquil wilds. Johnston and Farmer were on the trail of Bushy Mountain, miles away from civilization, heading for a creek that was actively alive with rainbow trout.
1: My favorite.
0: I haven't had rainbow trout in so long, and I'm so excited to actually be able to have them again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They're so yummy. They are so (laughs) yummy. They're
0: so good. They're such a little gem, like, in the wilds, if you can find them.
1: Yes. Oh, my gosh. 100%
0: yes. (laughs) So, fishing was absolutely great that day, and Johnston managed to wrangle six good-sized rainbow trout. Nice. However, this feeling of being watched started to, like, grow and hang more for Johnston and Farmer as the day went on. Although they didn't know at the time, some hikers told local sheriffs that some very odd, like, symbols were showing up on the Appalachian Trail. And they were being painted on trees and rocks nearby. What kind of symbols? According to Sheriff Morgan Milrens, there were skulls and crossbones painted on rocks near where the Wapiti shelter on the trail was. And it was just a stone's throw away from where Johnston and Farmer pitched their tent for the night. The same area that the murders took place back in 1981.
1: I don't know how I'd feel about that if I was them. Because on the one hand, I'd be like, somebody's fucking around and playing pirates. (laughs) Like, I don't know that I'd take it seriously just because people do random shit. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, if... I had noticed there's a whole bunch of them all over the place, then that would probably creep me out. If I just see one, I'd be like, oh, some kids are are fucking around. But yeah, if they're like all over the place, I'd be like,
0: this is a little too weird. Yeah. And like, especially like at the Wapiti shelter where they're, it's known. It is known to locals. It's known to people that hike that trail. Like this is where the Appalachian murders took place. This is where ramsey and mountford died like this is yeah if not weird very inappropriate
1: definitely yes so
0: johnston and farmer fished all morning and as they were coming back up the mountain there was a dog on the road johnston recalls stopping and getting out of his truck as someone walked up out of the nearby creek bed Being friendly, like many hikers are, he talked to this guy for a little bit about fishing and such, to which the man says, oh, you know there's no fish in this creek. To which Johnston simply opened up his cooler and gave the man some fish that he'd caught from the creek. Oh my gosh. He really wasn't concerned about the man and just noted that he looked like a normal camper. Getting weird vibes i don't like it (laughs) that evening farmer was pitching his tent near a place called dismal creek the same man johnston had spoken to comes walking up to him and says how you doing and that he'd fished with johnston earlier in the day and was basically just stopping by to say hi
1: this is it. Oh, wait, he's pitching his tent. So it's probably not nighttime quite yet. It's I would probably, say, like, would probably guess, like, afternoon.
0: Mid afternoon, like, heading into dusk. Yeah. Like, this guy just comes okay. walking up
1: and, like, starts talking to him. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's not as bad. I was thinking it was the middle of the night. And I was going to be like, uh, no. But yeah, no. mid afternoon. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've done definitely been approached before well granted i haven't done a lot of like backcountry camping as much but yeah mid-afternoon there's definitely people out and about so i wouldn't put it past a random hiker to like come by and just see you but yeah the fact that he's like hey i was talking to your buddy earlier it's i don't know a little little weird a little strange a
0: little strange but johnston and farmer have a unwritten rule on the trail that They are to offer friendship to fellow hikers and fishermen in any aid that they might need, and they did just that. They offered the man to stay for dinner with them, and they swapped stories by the campfire discussing fishing, sports, and other things. Farmer recalls the man standing up and going over to his dog right in front of Johnston's tent. He then patted his leg and said, come on, boy, we got to get back to camp. Johnston and Farmer relaxed a bit and they were starting to like wind down from this quiet evening into a lazy evening when suddenly they were disrupted by the sounds of two loud pops. Uh. Johnston recalls seeing this man sticking his arm out towards Farmer. Farmer recalls hearing the ringing in his head and not being able to hear anything over it he had been shot on the right side of his face and his mouth had began to swell immediately and the vision in his right oh eye went bad staggering backwards all he could see were flashes being shot from the gun at johnston now johnston instinctively took off running and at some point during all this he shot in his back he manages to get down into a clump of trees to protect himself And as he's sitting there, he's starting to notice that there's blood squirting out of him, like a good foot every single time his heart beats. Oh no. He's been shot in the neck and he starts to feel around and finds the bullet hole. And this isn't the first time I've actually heard of this method being used, but to keep himself from bleeding anymore, he sticks his finger in to plug the hole, to which I'm like, the willpower that that must take
1: oh yeah i've heard of that method being used before but to do that to yourself Mm -hmm. especially in that situation under that amount of stress oh my god well i mean like when you think about stop the bleed like if you guys
0: haven't taken a course for stop the bleed i highly recommend like getting in contact with like your non-emergency services meaning like call like the actual pd number or the actual fire department number and see if they have those classes available because you never know when you might need to use something like that
1: oh yeah definitely i 100 percent recommend the stop the bleed courses yeah
0: absolutely i've heard about like you shove like gauze into a wound and stuff like that so i guess like the same theory applies to like just having something there to plug it
1: will work for the yeah i mean if you don't got gauze you use what you got yeah you
0: use what you got (laughs) Farmer recalls the next moments unfolding as if they are in slow motion. The shooter turns back to him and prepares to fire again. His eyes blank, and he looks like he's just looking through Farmer like he's a ghost. That's when the 6'5", 380-pound Farmer decides to charge the man. The struggle ensues and as the man goes to turn his back away from him, Farmer's shot one more time in the chest. At this point, the gun stops shooting. It's not clear if it's empty or if it's jammed. And the two stare each other down for a brief moment before Farmer takes off running for his Jeep. And he gets in and the gunman runs alongside of him and starts trying to line up for a finishing shot. Farmer puts his hands up in hopes of blocking any shot that might come and he starts his car immediately, ducking down into the passenger seat and flooring it as he drives away. Meanwhile, Johnston, who's still hiding in the woods, thinking he's probably gonna bleed to death right there, watches as Farmer escapes and he begins his own fight to get the hell out. He takes off running through the woods down to a road that Farmer is most likely going to be leaving on. And he sees the headlights coming. Farmer stops the vehicle and lets him in and they punch it once Johnston's inside. However, they're not out of the woods yet as their campsite is miles away from help and it's a long, dangerous drive down the dark mountain. Uh. They go flying down this mountain upwards to 40 to 50 miles per hour on something that's only meant to be driven at maybe 20 farmer's behind the wheel as they're going and he eventually starts to black out and like the car starts going off the road too into like rocks, trees, and embankments and Johnston eventually takes over steering telling his friend to like just focus on which pedals you need to use and let me steer.
1: Oh my god. As
0: they roughly make it down the mountain they come across three to four houses in this er like little area. Johnston Jumps out of the vehicle and goes running for a house, banging on the door, screaming, Call 911, call 911, and that he and his friend have been shot. Meanwhile, Farmer has gotten out of the vehicle and he's starting to kind of stagger towards the house himself. Johnston recalls the door opening and a woman being on the other side with disbelief of what she's seeing. And this woman is Melissa Miller. And she recalls thinking that upon hearing the door pounding it was just one of her son's friends playing some type of sick prank and she was kind of annoyed and then she opened the door and there's a man standing there with his hand clutched to his neck and he's bleeding and she's like oh dear god this isn't a joke
1: oh my god
0: it took 45 minutes for the ambulance to arrive during that time both the friends were concerned for each other not so much themselves they're like oh my god the other one's gonna die both of them said that eventually medical services arrive and both men were med via helicopter to the hospital in renork i'm sorry if i mispronounced that 30 miles down the road the two had pulled off a miracle they escaped a gunman they drove down a road while critically wounded and bleeding out found help and made it to a hospital. However, they're not out of the woods yet. They've still got medical stuff that they need to go through. And while this is all happening, Lawson quickly hears about the shooting and it's like deja vu. An attack in virtually the same location with the same method of the double murder he'd investigated years earlier. And he can't help but think, oh dear God, did he do it again? Johnston is being rolled into surgery that night when he's shown a picture of smith a investigator asks is this the guy that shot you like is this the guy that harmed you and johnston replies with a strong confident yes that's him after an idea is made by johnston the police launched a manhunt for smith a state trooper spotted him just hours after the shooting driving johnston's stolen pickup truck Oh, the officers pulled out after him and quickly Smith sped up. He went about a mile from where he was spotted and he wrecked the truck. According to Lieutenant Ron Hamelin, he says that Smith left the road, drove up an embankment and flipped the truck on its roof. Ooh. he was still trapped in the vehicle when Hamelin arrived on scene. Officers pulled Smith from the vehicle and took the handgun in as evidence. Smith was injured in the crash and taken to the same hospital as his two victims while Lieutenant Hamlin read him his rights. Now, initially, Smith refused to speak, but later he did start talking a little bit more and he denied shooting the two and that the weapon wasn't his. However, it was his. In fact, it was the same gun that authorities never located 27 years ago from the double homicide of Ramsey and Mountford. Wow. In addition to the gun, police also found a treasure trove of evidence that Smith had hidden it in the woods as like a cash site, which is very reminiscent of somebody else that we know.
1: Yeah. yeah, I don't like that. I did not like <laughs> it either.
0: In this little cache, there were more than 20 knives, meat cleavers, oh. and other items. The most bizarre being drawings and notes, including a prayer, which I'll read for you. Hail to the guardians of the Watchtower of the North. By the powers of Mother and Earth, hear me. Show me thy glory. I invoke thee, O Ancient One. Huh. To which... Sounds kind of Skyrimish. I I did have to note that in my notes. I'm like, it sounds a little skyrim But then I started reading a little bit more. And police say that these notes had symbols that were consistent with, like, the more religious practice of Wicca. Which, uh, I'm not one to speak on Wicca because I don't practice Wicca. I practice paganism. So, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not really sure what all they do over there for their prayer. But, like. Apparently, there were matching symbols, which I'm presuming there's pentacles and things like that because that's a very common cross-the-board type of symbol in witchcraft. Yeah. So, Smith was in jail awaiting trial when he was found on May 10th of 2008 at around 5 p.m. He was laying unresponsive on his side on the floor of his cell. He was transported to Pulaski. Community Hospital, where they pronounced him dead at 6.03 p.m. Johnston and Farmer have both made full recoveries. Johnston was in the hospital for six days and had to have extensive surgery done on his neck. He says if the bullet was off by just one millimeter of where it hit, he would have bled out in five minutes. Wow. Although the two friends went through this absolutely horrifying and traumatizing experience and carry a little debt with them from medical expenses since neither of them had insurance at the time, they both note that the most important part is that you don't give up no matter what and live life to the fullest.
1: Wow, I'm really shocked that after everything they went through, that's how they came out of it. Yeah. Good for them I'm that like, they handled it so bravely. Yeah, and there was a
0: couple notes, like, just keep fishing and those types of things that were, like, discussed in the interview. I'm like, you know, I I wish I could come out on the other side like that. I would like to think that would come right? out on the other side like that. Because, wow, like, you guys just lived through an absolutely terrifying experience i'm like the last thing i would ever want to do is go walking back out to go fishing go hiking or do anything like that again if that happened to me
1: yeah i would be fucking terrified to set foot in the woods again after something like that happened wow and i'm sorry did you say the killer did he commit suicide is that how he died it's unclear like i
0: looked through a couple different things it doesn't look like it doesn't look like there was any definitive like manner of death that was stated i'm presuming okay. he might have like succumbed to natural causes with his injuries maybe like according to a couple articles like when he did attack in 2008 he was no longer like this big-ish, like. But for a man that he was when he had originally murdered Ramsey and Mountford, he had actually, like, grown very frail and, like, he was in his 50s at that point. So he was really just kind of, like, fragile, I'll say. Yeah. Okay. Not somebody that you would expect to do this to you, but he did. But anyway, I do want to note real quick here that if you guys do want more information about this case, please go check our references. I found the Escape from Brushy Mountain from NBC News to be very helpful through this. And you'll probably see a lot of similar like dialogue to there. Like that article is beautifully written. It includes the interviews between Lawson, other law enforcement agencies, along with testimonies given by Johnston and Farmer.
1: Great. Well, thank you (laughs) for again making us scared to go into the woods. (laughs) You're so welcome. I'm I'm so happy that at least they made it out. I know that the first two victims did not. And for that, I am so terribly sorry for their family. Me too. And for them that they had to go through that. Um, But I'm happy to hear that the second pair of victims somehow managed to survive which i'm still shocked at what they accomplished to get themselves to safety and doing all of that while bleeding out from gunshot wounds that's just incredible yeah
0: it's insane what they went through and it it is by no underestimating factor a miracle that they both made it
1: yeah and I can only imagine the amount of willpower that took uh in on both of their parts to make it through all of that. Mm-hmm. Wow, but yeah, that is the story
0: of the Appalachian Trail murders. There are a couple more, but we won't talk about them today. <laughs> <laughs> oh great, there's more. <laughs> Well, upon just what I wanted to hear. Upon looking at this cuz I was like I want a National Parks case cuz it's been a moment. <laughs> like I found an article that listed out over like 10 different murders around the area, was like including Ju- Julian Lolly's case too, which Yeah. If you guys haven't listened to that episode, please go listen to it. Luckily enough, this case does have some closure with Smith's death, but Julie and Molly's case is still very cold and still needs help with being solved. But I have more. There will be more more trips to the national park systems in the United States.
1: <laughs> more to look forward to. More to look
0: forward to. But yeah, so <sighs> We love a good national park case. <laughs>
1: speak for yourself (laughs) Uh, oh my goodness all
0: right well I'm gonna go ahead and wrap us up here guys thank you so much for listening if you haven't already please make sure to hit that follow button wherever you're listening and if you're listening over on YouTube please make sure to hit that subscribe button ring that notification bell and smash that like button We look forward to all our new subscribers and all our new community members. And yeah, until next time, we'll see ya. Bye! Thank you again
1: for listening to Haunting Cases Podcast. Please make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Haunting Cases Podcast and on Twitter at Haunting
0: Cases. If you have a listener tale, story request, or any questions, email us at hauntingcasespodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from. So, what do you say, listeners? Are, Are you haunted, haunted? too?